first scripture reading comes from Psalm 52, verse 8. Listen for the word of God. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. Our second scripture is from the first book of Kings, chapter 19, verses 1 through 15. Listen for the word of God. Ahab told Jezebel that all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank, and then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram.
Please join me for response to the word as printed in your bulletin. Elijah, afraid and running for his life, was confronted by the living God at Mount Horeb. What are you you doing doing here, here, Elijah? Go out out and stand stand on the mountain mountain before the Lord, Lord, for the the Lord Lord is about about to pass pass by. by. Now there was a great wind, a wind so strong that it split mountains and broke rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake shook the ground to the roots of the mountain. But the Lord Lord was was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire blazed up toward the heavens. But the Lord Lord was not not in the fire. And after the fire came a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. God speaks to us in silence. God is speaking still. I don't know if God is speaking, but that bench is telling me it needs an anchor. That's all I know, because we're two pretty small women, and we keep rocking that thing. It's a little disturbing. How are you this morning? Good. Yes? Pretty good. Pretty good. Last week, how many of you were here last week? A few of you? Last week was a pretty significant week here at Neighborhood. I'm a newer member. As some of you may not know that, I've transferred my membership from Irvine United Congregational. Um, It was a difficult decision for me, having been a member there for 18 years uh, and serving there for nine and a half. But when I went into retirement last year, it was time for me to move on, and I couldn't think of a better home. I remember Mary and BJ coming up to me and saying, please let us offer you a soft place to land as you discern what having a practice in spiritual direction is about and understanding what retirement isn't. I love this church, and last week was significant for me for several reasons that I I quickly want to share with you. One, many of us had just come back from General Synod. Did any of you go to General Synod at all? How many? Raise your hand. Raise them high. Come on. It was quite an experience. God's vision in that wider church experience where on Sunday our worship service built to over 5,000 members of the UCC. Chills. Some of you may not know this, but many of us here in this church volunteered to be a part of that. BJ was an integral part of all five worship services behind the scenes. Diana Owings was on our local arrangements team and was carefully and gently watching over with Linda, her partner, over 450 volunteers, right? And I was caught up in it as well, much further and deeper than I was ever told by Libby, our associate minister, that I would be. That being said, so it was significant. We were come back and we were pumped up. We were inspired to share part of that vision with you. It was communion here. And communion in church for me is always so incredible. 
when we really share that open meal that is offered to all of us, no matter where we are on our journey. That for me is always incredibly significant and I don't take it for granted. Because I know there are other churches where that may not be unfolding. And I pray for those people. That communion is so significant for me. And last week, this church celebrated the fifth anniversary of the first couple who were married in this church. The first gay couple, yes? Yay! That was significant. And even more significant, BJ's sermon was how and who is our God, right? And being a new member, I was quite excited that BJ was going to answer that. Right? I snuck in, sat way back where I feel very comfortable, thinking, all right, brother, go for it. But being BJ, he pulled his own little rope-a-dope and immediately took the mic and said, who is your God? Now, I love you all. I don't know you all very well yet. But I didn't see anybody going, ooh, ooh, pick me, to define it, right? Do any of you remember raising your hand emphatically so that you might define for all of us who God is? No. And that's the beauty of the UCC. Because we are so much more comfortable with defining the questions, right, than needing the absolutes and answers. When we really unpack it, BJ helps us to define what God isn't. Because we know we can all get caught up in the gods, right? The gods of pride, of power, of money, of possessions, all of that is just distraction. And we know it, and BJ helped us sort through a bit of that. But I hope for you, if you're anything like me, that as you moved through your week and left this community, you sat with, well, how do I define my God? Because I did. For me, in the UCC, I'm comfortable with saying, well, today I define my God as a God of love, a God of compassion, a God of justice. Tomorrow I might define God differently because I'm in the UCC and I'm comfortable to do that because no matter where I am on my journey, I am welcomed here. And that's important to me. In the scripture that BJ talked about last week, we were in the book of Kings, and in the book of Kings, we were learning about the same thing about God, right? Last week, BJ was defining where this whole thing played out about the false gods and the one true God, yes? And that one, you know, Elijah builds the temple, right? And God does show up. How does God show up? Anybody remember? In the fire. God showed up in the fire. Great. So in Scripture, we know that God was defined, and that was powerful for the people. And what happens now this week? Well, (laughs) you know, what happens for many prophets? They they often are seen as either a jester jester or a, a prophet. However, often for them, they've got to cut and run. And he did, because he knew his life was in danger. 
and he is running and he's running and he's very zealous for God. Have you ever been like that in your life that you are so zealous for God you will look anywhere for God? And in the midst of looking for God, you might even say, you know what, I'm done. I'm just done. Just take my life. Just take it. I'm, I'm just so done. And that's pretty much where he was. Just take it. Please. Please. No, God does not do that. What does God do? God provides an angel who provides bread and water and says, get up and eat. And in fact, not only do I need you to do this once, not twice, but oh, for 40 days and for 40 nights. Because you know what? You're going to need it. You're going to have a very long journey ahead of you. So we've got to prepare you. That's pretty significant. Even for us in times of our life, when we just want to toss it all away, we're not given the way out. We are given food, we are given water, and we are given strength for what will be probably a long journey. And we are people of faith. And so sometimes, not even with even understanding, well, we just keep walking. This is significant. And God does not show up the way that Elijah thinks he will. And if I were doing a, a Bible study with you right now, I would tell you this is so, so significant. This piece of scripture right here is so important because something really changes here. You see, before now, God shows up a lot, but God is showing up in the magnificent things. God is parting seas. God is showing up in fire, in earthquakes, in the wind. And so, of course, that's what Elijah thinks is waiting for him on this mountain of God where Moses, where everything begins. I'm getting feedback. Am I too close to that? And so, what a surprise. Because God isn't in any of those things this time. God is now not what Elijah knew before. Because where is God? Silence. And you know what, for me, one of the most important pieces of that scripture is? The line where he says, and he heard it. There are a lot of distractions in our world. We heard Mary talk about it in her, in her children's sermon. When we say we're going silent, we can still hear things, yes? Right? Have you ever really heard silence? You can hear it. 
God speaking, so I have no control over this. I'm sorry. God gets loud. He could hear it. And that really changes things. From now on, and even in Scripture, you will see a paradigm shift. Because God doesn't just show up in the magnificent things anymore. Now, God shows up in the nothingness of things. In other words, God is just is. God is. I grew up in God. I don't even have a memory, frankly, when God wasn't a part of my life, and that's just part of my story. I'm the youngest of 10 children. I grew up in a Roman Catholic family. We had a home in Wichita, Kansas, which was next to the vestry, which was next to the convent of Blessed Sacrament, where I went to Mass every morning, where I went to parochial school, where I was guided very closely by the nuns, where I practiced all of it. I ate it up. It's what I knew. But I also knew something incredibly different from that. I am the granddaughter of Native American, Seneca. My grandparents had a small farm on a reservation on the Oklahoma border. And when I spent time there, I also grew in God. And some of my earliest memories are of walking circles before I even knew they were called labyrinths. Some of the richest games I ever played were done in silence. The institutional church, the Catholic church, gave me a lot. It really did. I was enveloped in the prayer life. I loved having my epistle with me. I liked the order of the service. There was something about the ritual of it that really did speak to me. And being a young Catholic, I knew who God was for me. I had never seen God, but I knew who God was for me, and I was fearful of God, healthily so. And being the youngest of ten that would do anything her brothers told her to, it was probably best. All of these things helped to form me, but they were very rigid. There was a lot of ritual to it, and I knew it. And I followed as best I could. I really did. I wanted to be a good Catholic. I actually didn't know there was really that much out on the other side, except my grandfather's place, which I wasn't allowed to talk about at home. You see, my father and his family were very devout Roman Catholics. When my father married, my mother, it was a very big boo-ha-ha. My father was just weeks away from taking his final vows. It did not go well. So my mother was to give up all of those things and become a Catholic, and she did. To great pain. To great pain. 
so it, it, it almost felt like, frankly, sneaking away. But that's okay. Because the rigid pieces taught me things I needed to know. But I want to share with you some of the things that my grandfather taught me. I remember one day in the Catholic Church, I went looking for God. I really needed to see God. I needed to see God. It doesn't matter why, I needed to see God. I was about five or six. My brothers had convinced me that God was inside the church, God's house. And on this particular day, God was inside this little bitty room that was between these other two rooms where I saw people always going in and coming out and in this other door, but nobody ever came in and out of that door. And my brothers said, that's because God's in there. And if you're brave enough, you can see him. Does anybody know what I'm talking about when I say these doors? Anybody? What am I talking about? The confessional. Yes, indeedy. So, one day I went looking for God. Now this, over weeks and weeks, I would hide behind a pew and I would watch, waiting for my moment when I could get a look at God. And one day I did. And I swung the door open and I am sure no one was more surprised than Father Michael with the sandwich that he had in his hand when I opened the door. All I know is that everything I had thought that might be the image of God was destroyed. I was sent to bed early with a rosary, and my image of God was still not answered. I went to the farm a short time later and shared with my grandfather this experience, and he just smiled, and he just laughed. He said, oh, you're looking way too far to see spirit. You must look inside. Well, of course, too young to understand that one. And he says, so I will help you. So he used to carve a path for me. There was a tree very far in the distance. I'm sure it was an oak tree. It offered shade. And he would kind of dig out this straight line from an area by the house. And I could go looking for God on this straight line. And while I was on this straight line, quiet, no talking, I could look for God. And I could find God. And when I found God, I was to bring him to my grandfather and he would talk to me about it. So you can imagine the kinds of things that I would bring as a small child to my grandfather. For those of you who have known me in my ministry of many object lessons and children's sermons, these were the beginnings. Because my grandfather could take a rock and turn the rock to God. And in the midst of that, as I would breathe in and breathe out, he could explain to me that God was deep inside. And spirit was the muah, was the breathing that I was doing in and out. I remember once I was so upset. It's something that had happened at church that by the time I got to my grandfather's farm, I was beside myself. 
I had broken a rule, I had been sent to confession, I didn't feel I should have to confess it, but I did, you know, it was just one of those doggone things that a child has to wrestle with. That whatever faith you come with, whatever faith you come from, there are times in our youth that we struggle with it, whatever the structure might be, good or bad for us. I was furious, I had it. And he once again sent me to the straight line. Go find God there. God clearly needs to talk to you in the silence. And I was so furious, I couldn't stay on the path. I didn't see God on the path. I saw God in a rock that was just off the path. And I knew I'd get in trouble for not staying on the path. So I got down on my knees, and I changed the path. And I sat there for a really long time in the silence, wondering, is this okay? I've just changed the path. Will I be in trouble for this too? And for the first time in my life, I heard the silence. I heard the silence. When I got back to my grandfather and I put this rock in front of him, he smiled and he said, I don't remember seeing this rock on the path. I said, it wasn't. And I was upset and I began to cry. He says, why are you crying? I said, because I know I didn't do what you wanted me to. I know I left the path. He said, child, the path is only there to guide you. There are many paths. You found God outside of this path. Know now that God is often outside the path and the straight line we walk. But it took hearing the silence to understand that. I used to say to my grandfather, they always tell me that God is in the church. God is in the church. God is in the church, he would say. I don't understand. I would walk these circles to the center, no ending, no real beginning, just these incredible meandering circles. And when I would get to the center, and I would wonder what that was all about, I wasn't quite sure. I just knew it caused me to continue to think about paths and where am I going? Isn't that what a labyrinth is about, to just draw us deeper and deeper? But I remember asking my grandfather, is God in the circle? No, child. God is the circle. Sometimes it's only in the silence that we know these things. When I was a Catholic, it was ideal for me until it wasn't. 
and I had to move away from that straight path to find my own path. However, I thought I had been terribly wounded by the Catholic Church, and in many ways I had. So I thought I'd never be a part of the Catholic Church again. Has anyone ever used the term, I'm an ex-Catholic, I'm a recovering Catholic, I'm a this, I'm a that, perhaps an ex-Mormon, perhaps a, right? When I moved into the UCC for the first time in my life as a teenager, I was called to question, right? I was called to question. I wasn't asked to give an answer. I was called to question things. What a relief. I'd found a home. I love the ministry and all the things that encapsulize the UCC and that I can be comfortable in the silence of my wondering and my questions. But I wonder how many times do we really allow ourselves to move into silence? Because it's not always a comfortable place to be. I also appreciate the beauty and the the incredible structure that church does give us. And it does. Richard Rohr, who is a Franciscan monk and a mentor to me, tells us that we're all a part of this big cosmic egg, that there's the story, which is pretty much the way of all things, no matter what your religion is, crosses all boundaries. That's just the story of the world. And then there's our story of the church and of communities and organizations that we belong to because they help us extend our own personal my story and helps us define who our God is and what we're about and why we're in the world. But scripture helps us to define something even more important. There are so many treasures there that we have yet sometimes to uncover because one thing I also know about the UCC, we do get kind of caught up in the head thing. We do want to unpack stuff, right? We want to know, did it historically happen, and how did it happen, and all of that. When we're children, Marcus Borg would say we're in that naivete, right? It's effortless. We believe the Christmas story. We believe it. We believe what happened on that cross, and that Jesus rose again. We know it. We believe it. It's effortless. And in the UCC, when we come to that place in our life, when we get to that critical place in our life where we can unpack these things in a rational way, some of us might fall victim to it. We might become so critical of the unpacking that we forget about the spirit piece that our ancestors taught us, that Jesus continued to try to teach us until the day he died. The church, the community, brings us together so that we might be the face of God to each other, that we might minister to each other, that we might receive ministry from each other and together move into the world 
Jesus taught us as disciples that in that we must also understand my story, our own personal story and our relationship to God. Jesus spent as much time with people, oh yeah, he spent as much time in silence by himself. And he went away and he prayed. And he went away and he prayed. Silence can be uncomfortable, but it is the journey to our soul. The church is a part of our story. It helps us define who God is for us. It helps us journey that path together to share where we are in our different crossroads. But as Sister Joan Chittister would tell you, it's just a finger pointing at the moon. Interestingly enough, as a spiritual director of ecumenical coexistence, I work with all faiths. I have been put more into the Catholic Church over the last five years of my life than I ever thought would happen. I thought there was a point where I would never again be inside a Catholic Church, sit next to a nun, talk to a priest. Wasn't going to happen. But God has a way of healing us in the silence of our lives. When I decided to become a spiritual director, one who would be welcoming of all faiths, because that's what I know in the UCC. The first place they sent me was a monastery. The first person that came to me to become my prayer partner for the first year of school was a nun, Sister Pat. And I told her at the very moment I met her how glad I was to meet her and how concerned I was that I had made the wrong decision. That I did not think I would be staying, that I did not think this program was for me. I was wrong. My biggest apologies. And she said, it's all right, it's all right. Clearly you're in panic, and it's okay. I did have something, though, I was hoping to do with you. If you don't mind, could we do that first before you leave? Sure. I'm sure she could feel the tension because I've just never felt more of it inside my rigid self. Ah, but God works through so many ways in the faces of the people we meet and encounter because Sister Pat took me down a straight line and in the clearing was a tree and underneath the shade of the tree was a labyrinth. And as we came to the labyrinth, she said, Robin Marie, I just wanted to walk this with you in silence. No prayers, just silence. To see where God might lead both of us in this journey. And finally, I realized it. God had allowed me to take these two things that I grew up in and finally bring them together. And it took silence to teach it to me. Maybe the only proof we can ever have of God is church, is being with the people who can be the extension of God and really hold us in their arms. Those are the only arms God has right now to hold us in, is each other's. 
Church is so important to all of us. It helps us define who we are as a people in our story. But it is only a finger pointing at the moon. We must, if we really want to be in a relationship with God, in a relationship that only lovers know, right? The intimacy that you have with a lover that is so deep and so close that nothing separates you. In our yearning for God, God yearns back. Because God is. And sometimes it takes us moving into the silence before we hear it. Amen.